David Yoder says it beautifully. He says, no one is to anything to learn to read and write. No one is to anything to learn to read and write. So we need to hold the belief that literacy is learned across places and time, and no person is too disabled to benefit from literacy learning opportunities. Hello, Montgomery County, and welcome to the OPL podcast with MCIU. My name is Brandon Langer, and I'm the Program Administrator for Instructional Technology in the Office of Organizational and Professional Learning. And today we are launching into the second conversation of a series about teaching literacy skills, literacy practices to in classroom environments for, with students with complex needs. And I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Julie Ortlieb, who is one of our project consultants in the Office of Organizational and Professional Learning. And just so those of you who may be listening to this for the first time, we have a first edition of this of this podcast mini-series where we really dive into the background and the intention behind building this learning series. So today we're going to dive into more specifically one offering within that broader learning series. But please feel free to log on to learn.mciu.org or your other podcast channels to find that first conversation. So Julie, welcome and uh, thanks for hopping on with me today. The title of the first course in this series is Teaching Foundational skills of reading to students with limited verbal abilities. What are those foundational skills of reading and and why are they important? Sorry for such a long title of the course. I always get jumbled (laughs) up on that one too. Um, But first and foremost, we have to understand that reading is a complex process and it encompasses many processes working together so that we can unlock our written code and ultimately make meaning of it. If you ever heard of the simple view of reading, This research illustrates that skilled readers must have solid word recognition skills and language comprehension in order to exhibit reading comprehension. So knowing this, it is important that our approaches consider both parts of this equation. So in this first course of the literary series, this course teaching foundational skills of reading to students with limited verbal abilities, I'm going to keep saying it as fast as I can. (laughs) We focus heavily on word recognition, which includes phonological awareness, decoding and encoding, and sight recognition of familiar words. And we discuss how to teach these skills in an adaptive way for students with complex needs through the integration of meaningful literary experiences. So what led you to create, you know, or or focus on foundational skills specifically for students who are non-speaking or lack expressive language skills? So the, the most important thing to know is that speech is not a prerequisite to reading. So non-speaking individuals can and do learn to read and write. If you think about um, even the deaf community, they might not be able to express themselves in the same way that we do, but they can learn to read and write. But having said that, there's a tremendous need for reading interventions that specifically address the unique learning needs of this population. So students that have limited verbal abilities, quite frankly, are at risk for reading failure because they have difficulty accessing reading instruction through typical methods. And because of their expressive difficulties, they often have to convey their understanding in what we might say is unconventional ways. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to think about you have kids in elementary school. When you think about young children in their classroom doing phonological awareness and phonics activities, what do you imagine? So when you think about maybe the kids on the circle time, on the rug, what do you imagine when you picture your kids doing phonics activities, things like that? Like me? Yeah. yeah I, I, I picture a lot of rote repeating. 
I think, you know, I'm a former music teacher. I, I picture a lot of what I would do call and response with yes. them. And, and even in a music classroom, it would be a similar practice. So I'm putting you on the spot and okay. you hit the nail on the head, right? So you're asking students to enunciate letter sounds or enunciate, you know, what or echo back to you sounds or musical sounds, right? And you're asking them to verbally manipulate sounds or say words, things like that. But for non-speaking students, these tasks are difficult, if not mm. impossible. Um, and so we can't just skip the arena of phonological awareness. Phonological awareness is a huge pillar of learning to read and one of, honestly, one of the largest predictors of later reading success. So just because our students can't echo sounds or verbally produce sounds, we can't just skip this area because they will falter later as the words get more complex. So again, in this course, we discuss how to explicitly teach letters and sounds and how to modify word recognition tasks so that students who have limited verbal abilities can participate meaningfully. So one of the ways I've seen that happen in my own classrooms, because I taught an MDS music class at one point, was to use symbols for communication. Knowing that that's a common practice, a common modification or, or a way to their you know, communication, why teach them letters and sounds? I love that you said this, Brandon, and I'm going to challenge you today. So the next text message that you receive today, or you're drafting a new text message today, you can only write your message with emojis. So emojis are fun, right? We all love to add emojis to things. I love to add emojis to my text messages and emails. But imagine if you could only text or only email with emojis all the time. That's the symbols that you have at your disposal to use. I want you to reflect on... Did your recipient of that message truly understand the exact intent of your message, mm. right? So symbols are so supportive in face-to-face -face communication. They may help students understand print a little bit better at times, but you cannot be precise in your communication with only symbols. Um, and I was listening to another podcast that I like. It's called Talking with Tech. And they had a, a speech and language therapist on there. His name is Eric Sanders. And he said, the most powerful symbol set is the alphabet. And that just stuck with me because really our goal for our students is that they are able to say whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want. Mm -hmm. And to do this, we need to teach them letters and sounds so they can spell and be able to write or type and communicate exactly what they want to say. Because once again, they can't enunciate and verbally produce sounds like, like we can. Um, and if we limit students to just these symbols that are pre-programmed or chosen by others, right? Because a lot of times these devices have, these AAC devices have the symbols pre-programmed or we're choosing the symbols for the student. We're limiting their autonomy to be independent communicators. I, I could go on a whole side <laughs> tangent about everything you're saying and why when we sit with students in an instrument and tell them, play this note, it's a C, is the exact wrong way to try and get someone to be acculturated and in tune with musical arts because it's exactly what you're saying. That note on the page is not an art. It is nothing more than a symbol representing a tone. Right. And that everything you're saying is clicking and connecting that, mm -hmm. my, my back experience to what you're articulating, which is so true, which is that whatever we put in front of kids or give them as a, a list of things to pull from doesn't fully articulate all that is possible within a given medium mode or, or, or in my case, art form. So I can 100% relate to that. And in doing so, um, also relating to and thinking about something that we talked about in the last uh, conversation, 
you used the term um, presuming potential. And that's something we actually have to do a lot in the music arts classroom as well. Presume potential, even for students that have never played a note, never sang a note. And that's why that really rang to me in our previous conversation is, yes, I totally understand what that means. Um, I'm sure you have a very different lens on a very different background here. But let's say you have a team, um, you know, that that's an important mindset to carry. And you have a team that's saying, all right, I'm, I'm on board. I'm going to presume potential. And I'm you got me on board with this whole literacy instruction, but I don't really know where to start. How do you prioritize all of these things? Because much like the art, there's a lot there to unpack and it could probably be overwhelming. So how do you prior what do you prioritize within reading and writing skills? So that's really the purpose of this course is to help educators, therapists, parents, caregivers, whoever is working with that student, with the group of students. Um, the purpose of the course is so that we can understand the most essential components of reading and writing for students with complex needs. So we discuss how to create a comprehensive literacy framework, and we talk about how to identify whether students would benefit from emergent literacy strategies or conventional literacy strategies. And if you've never heard of emergent or conventional, we talk about, we answer four questions and we talk about which lean should I go down? Should I, you know, do these more emergent strategies because that's where my students really are right now? Or are they ready to go into that conventional landscape? Having said that, of course, there's no black and white line between emergent and conventional. So you And you might have students in your class that encompass both. So we talk about how to mesh the instructional strategies from both approaches. But first and foremost, we need to expose kids to language and literacy. And our goal is to build a foundation for literacy with this emergent reading instruction. And the hope is that through our efforts, we'll be able to move our instruction to more conventional strategies. Um, and for students with disabilities, sometimes there's just a lack of exposure and instruction in literacy. There's been a lot of research that's shown that students with disabilities are read to less, even at a young age before mm -hmm. they even hit school. So because of that, that lack of exposure, that lack of instruction around literacy, sometimes that exacerbates their skill deficits, mm -hmm. right? So the bottom line is you just need to jump in. So I encourage you to you know, join us in this journey of learning more about how to build a framework for teaching, reading, and writing to students with complex needs. And even if you just start with the implementation of one component, you're already building a foundation for literacy. And just to kind of take the other end of the, you know, we just asked about somebody who might be ready to take this step in their practice. What about the opposite? What do you say to somebody that says he, he can't do that, she can't do that, this isn't this, maybe their their mindset's going to be maybe more um, in contention with this idea. How, how would you approach that? So this quote sticks with me. Uh, David Yoder, he was a research at UNC. We talked a little mm -hmm. bit about Univer uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in our last episode. So David Yoder says it beautifully. He says, no one is to anything to learn to read and write. No one is to anything to learn to read and write. So we need to hold the belief that literacy is learned across places and time, and no person is too disabled to benefit from literacy learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. I want to come sit in on these sessions now because I love, <laughs> uh, you know, our first conversation was great. It was, it was higher level. You're kind of giving the intention background. And again, you should go definitely listen to that if you didn't get a chance to hear it because Julie provides a lot of context to why this work is important and what it's rooted in. But what I love about what we're highlighting here in this you know, first course in the series in particular 
is a little more intentional to the human need. Mm-hmm. Something that you you know just kind of articulate and walk me through with the text and the emojis is is ringing through to me. I I really really appreciate that analogy, that example to to carry forward as to why this is important. Mm-hmm. And regardless of where we are in our mindset walking into the room, I'm encouraged to see that there are people like yourself and, and others in the field taking steps forward to address that for students who, as you said in the last, might not be able to advocate for it themselves verbally even. Mm-hmm. Um, so to improve those communication skills, but also improve their ability to articulate all the thoughts that we have as people is really cool. Absolutely. I mean, literacy unlocks so many doors, right? So self-advocacy, education, communication, the the life that they have beyond our school doors, right? So it's really our job to um, unlock the potential in our students so that they can have a literate life. Awesome. Well, thank you for sitting down today, kind of walking us through this first course in the series. Again, we're going to be doing a couple more of these to kind of break down the other uh, courses in the series. Anything in particular you want to share as a parting thought? Uh, the one thing that I didn't mention, too, is just kind of the structure of the, the courses. Oh, yeah. So um, it is a three-part series. You can take one or all. I, of course, mm-hmm. I encourage you to take all of them. Um, but this course in particular, the foundational skills course, is six hours. But it's r- really great because it's four hours asynchronous work and two hours um, where we meet twice on Zoom. So I think for these, you know, busy educators and therapists and, you know, even caregivers that are taking this course, it works for them because they only have to commit to those two live synchronous sessions. And then you have several months to take the asynchronous work. Um, And we do have a lot of speech and language therapists joining us in these courses. So it's awesome to see that not just educators are embarking on this journey, but the whole team um, is really trying to figure out how do we, you know, support literacy instruction in our classrooms. So check it out. It's a whole series. And um, this particular course will open again in the spring. So April 2023, and it will continue to run. And we also have the second course, which is teaching reading to students with complex needs, which is open now and running now. So you can check out any of the courses in the series and hopefully you'll take one or all of them. Absolutely. And Julie's also pairing these podcasts with short blog posts about these topics as we kind of drill into more specifics here. So please be sure to log on to the MCIU Learning Network at Learn learn.mciu.org. It's completely free. Anyone can access it and continue to see more content from her and our entire team here at, at MCIU. So once again, this is the OPL podcast with MCIU. We look forward to continuing this conversation in a couple more editions, as well as our additional podcast coming out through early 2023. Happy New Year, Julie, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brandon.